0: The text for this morning's worship service is taken from John 12 verses 12 through 16 the next day the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. After the sermon, we will sing together from Hymn 29, the Stances 1, 2, and 3. beloved congregation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, it also includes you, boys and girls, when the Lord Jesus began his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth, he immediately attracted attention. When he spoke in the synagogue, for example, the people of his own hometown became so incensed that they wanted to throw him off a cliff. They wanted to kill him. But at that time, he simply walked away from them. He walked right through the crowd and went on his own way. Time and again, we see that Lord Jesus does that during his ministry. He did so also, as we know from John 6, verse 15, after he fed the 5,000. He had become very popular by that time. And that is why the crowd was there in the first place. They had seen and heard about all the miracles that he did, and they wanted to be part of it. They, too, wanted to be healed. They, too, wanted to experience the miracles that he did. And after he miraculously fed those 5,000 people, they wanted to make him king. Once again, however, he walked away from them. He did not want to be made king, at least not at that point. That is the way it was throughout his ministry from the very beginning. Crowds either wanted to make him king or they wanted to kill him. But now, look at what happens here in the text we are dealing with this morning. We are now exactly a year after the feeding of the 5,000. However, this time he does not shy away from the crowds. This time he even seeks them out. He publicly makes his way from Bethany to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He takes the large crowd that had witnessed the raising of Lazarus with him. This time he wants to be among them. He wants them to proclaim him king. For he does nothing to stop it. Why? What has changed? Has he lost the will to resist? Or does he now perhaps just before his crucifixion, which he knows is imminent, crave the adulation of the people? Is it that the human side of his existence is coming through? What is the purpose of his triumphal entry into the city? Why does he allow this to happen? That's what we will consider this morning as we listen to the preaching of God's word. I will preach to you about the great significance of Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then we will see that this significance is shown in the first place by the false adulation of the people. In the second place, the great resolve of the Lord Jesus. And then finally, the final confirmation of the disciples. The Lord Jesus continues to be very popular with a great many of the people. It is no wonder. He does many miracles. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. He did that in the little town of Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, where Lazarus and his two sisters lived. He was well aware of his popularity among the people. He also knew why. They saw him as the great prophet and as the great leader that they had been waiting for. They knew from the scriptures, at least so they thought, whom to expect. They knew what it said in Psalm 118, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were convinced that this Jesus of Nazareth, this miracle maker, was sent by the Lord their God. After he was anointed by Mary, the sister of Lazarus, the Lord Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. It is the first day of the week a Sunday. During this week, the Passover would be celebrated. And so everyone is making his way to Jerusalem. The city itself was already, even a week before the Passover, full of people who had come from all over. It was said that during those days, the city of Jerusalem normally existed of about 30,000 inhabitants. But during the time of Passover it would swell to a hundred thousand people, 180,000 people. The people would come from all over, not just from Israel, but also from the surrounding countries. It was a festive time. It was a time of renewal. It was a time of solidarity, a time of hope. During times like this, People dreamed of past glories. They dreamed to be free again, to be relieved of the yoke of the Romans. They were looking forward to Israel once again being a great nation. And we know from John 11 verse 56 that the people were looking for Jesus. They were wondering whether or not he was going to show up. Why did he want him to come? Well, because they wanted to live their aspirations through him. In their way of thinking, he was a most likely candidate to deliver them from the Roman yoke. After all, is he not of the royal house of David? And does he not show great leadership abilities? Does he not show his great power, his great miraculous power? Oh, yes, And so the people were greatly attracted to him. Wherever he went, the people flocked to him and listened to him. If there would be anyone who could lead them out of their present predicament, it would be him. The people who were already in Jerusalem for the Passover feast hear that the Lord Jesus is coming from Bethany, that he is on the road. And so what do those people in Jerusalem do? They go out to meet him they leave whatever they are doing and they go outside of the city gates and meet him on the road from Bethany to Jerusalem and there they encountered the Lord Jesus along with a great crowd that had already been accompanying him from Bethany and so just before the Lord Jesus enters Jerusalem those two crowds meet actually it is possible to speak of three crowds For also the Pharisees and the scribes were among them as a separate group. They wanted to be there to see what was happening. They were building a case against him so that they could have him arrested and done away with. At this time they were silent observers. Their time to act had not yet come. They waited for an opportune moment. They could not arrest him while the crowds were all around him. That would have been dangerous. The people would rise up against them if they were to do this under these circumstances. At this particular time, the people still adulate him. They have great hopes for him. That shows from their actions. Acting spontaneously, they took palm branches. The apostle John does not say what they did with those palm branches, but it is clear from the other gospel accounts what that is. They wave them, and they spread the branches on the road along with their cloaks. What significance is there about those palm branches? Well, those branches have a history with God's people. For the Lord God himself had commanded the waving of branches during the Feast of Tabernacles. That feast was instituted to make the Israelites remember their roots. It was a time of commemoration. They had to remember the time that they had to live in booths, which was the case just before their deliverance from Egypt. We read in Leviticus 23, verse 40, that during the Feast of Tabernacles, which had to be celebrated every year, that on that first day of that celebration, they had to take palm fronds, leafy branches, and rejoice before the Lord their God for seven days. The Feast of Tabernacles was commanded to remind the people of their deliverance from their enemies. And the waving of a palm branch was an important part of that celebration. But the waving of the palm branches had in the meantime become a symbol of nationalism. Some hundred years earlier, during the time of the Second Revolt, Judas Maccabeus had rededicated the temple after the temple had been profaned by the Syrians, after his brother Simon, a few years earlier, had conquered the Jerusalem citadel. The waving of palm branches had become a symbol of liberation, of victory over against one's enemies. At that time, they even had palm branches engraved on their coins. The palm branch had become a symbol of freedom. And that is also what the crowd around the Lord Jesus wanted. They saw the Lord Jesus as their potential liberator. That is also clear from the words that they spoke. For they quote the words from Psalm 118. They said, Hosanna. Those are the words from verse 25 of that psalm. O Lord, save us. That is what that exclamation, Hosanna, means. It means, save us now, please save us. And then they quote further from that psalm, Blessed is he who enters in the name of the Lord. And that is taken from the following verse, verse 26. But then he adds something. They said, blessed is the king of Israel. Those words do not belong to that psalm. They add these words because they have nationalistic hopes for him. They want to crown him as king. That was their agenda all along. They are looking not for salvation from their sins, but from their enemies, the Romans. They thought that the Lord God sent them that prophet to give them earthly deliverance. However, they did not understand that God gave them kings not to deliver them from men, but to deliver them from evil. The Romans would have been somewhat amused by all this as they were watching those proceedings. For this was nothing like their celebrations for their heroes. Whenever they wanted to honor someone, they would do it in a much more meaningful way. For whenever a Roman general was victorious on foreign soil, having killed at least 5,000 enemies, and having gained new territory, then such a hero and conqueror would be given a Roman triumph as he returned to the city. At such a time the victor would display the trophies he had won and show off the enemy leaders he had captured. They would parade all the spoils of war before the people. That was a time of great fun and joy. And then the victor would go through all the major thoroughfares of the city, ending up at the arena where some of the captives would be forced to entertain the people by fighting wild beasts. And so to the Romans, this proclamation of a king by the Jews seemed somewhat innocuous and ludicrous. For the Lord Jesus had never won any victory. He had never even fought any battle. As far as they were concerned, he was largely harmless. It was child's play. Yet, to the people of Israel, this was serious business. They put their hope in that Jesus of Nazareth. They wanted Him to defeat the enemy. That was their plan. However, the Lord Jesus had plans of His own. As a matter of fact, everything that goes according to the plan does not go to the plan of the people, not according to the plan of the Romans or of the plan of the Pharisees and scribes, but it goes according to the plan of the Lord God himself. And that is because the Lord Jesus had been planning this from the very start. He is the one who is in control. We come to the second point. He is resolutely resolved to make it all happen. He wants his name to be exalted, also in this way, in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Even though no one realizes this at this moment, he nevertheless is in control of all the events. The people think that they are making things happen. So do the Romans, and so do the scribes and the Pharisees. But in reality, it is the Lord Jesus who is completely in control. Everything is in the hands of that great man and it has always been and always will be that way, brothers and sisters. He determines what will happen to him and what will happen to the people. It says in verse 14 that the Lord Jesus found a young donkey and that then he sat upon it. The other gospel accounts give us a few more details about what happened. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that the Lord Jesus ordered two of his disciples before he entered Jerusalem to go into a village ahead of them, and that they would find a colt of a donkey tied up which no one had ever ridden. They were to untie it and bring it to him. John, however, tells us about the young donkey after he tells us about the adulation of the people. Why the difference in these accounts? Well, the important thing for John is not when or how, but why the cold of a donkey was taken. John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us this order in order to show that the Lord Jesus himself would determine the course that things were going to take. He wants to show that it is in response to the people's agenda that the Lord Jesus deliberately takes a cold of a donkey. The Lord Jesus wanted to send a clear message, A donkey was an animal of peace. These animals were needed for transport and other things, not for war. They were vitally important to poor nomadic peoples for their basic transport, allowing an average journey of about 30 kilometers a day. It was also a mode of transportation for royalty. A horse, on the other hand, was an instrument of war. Christ did not take a horse in order to indicate that he was not going into Jerusalem to stir up the people for war. No, he comes in peace. That is why he rode a donkey. And for that reason, he took that animal uh, that symbolized peace. Which is clear from scripture. When Jacob gave his blessings to his sons, he said to his son Judah, as we read in Genesis 49 verse 11, he will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. Jacob also indicates that prosperity and peace would come through Judah and his offspring. Now then, Lord Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. That prophecy had to be fulfilled, especially in him. And the Lord Jesus knew that. It was his great resolve that that indeed would take place. And by else did the Lord Jesus take that donkey? Well, it was especially to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah 9 verse 9, where we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, doubter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Note well that in the text as we have it quoted in the Gospel of John, a slightly different rendition is given. It begins by saying, Do not be afraid, instead of rejoice greatly. However, the sense is the same. When fear is gone, rejoicing comes in. Many prophecies begin in that same way. Time and again the Lord urges us not to be afraid. It is especially appropriate that John, divinely inspired, chooses these words. We do not have to be afraid of those who came in, come in order to bring peace. That is why he rides a donkey. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. The Lord Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He guided all the events He knew that after his death, all the peoples would also remember what happened on that day. He knew especially, and that is most important, that the apostles and his disciples would remember these things. For they had to write it all down for posterity. They had to make sure that the people understood his mission. But at first, they did not understand that. They had to come to the full realization of what took place on that day later on, and it had to be confirmed. We come to the third point. After his death, the Lord Jesus wanted all those people to reflect on what had happened on that day. He wanted them to reflect on the basis of God's word, what really had taken place. He wanted them to be witnesses to him being made king on the basis of the scriptures. And later on, many of them did remember and did believe, just as the Lord Jesus wanted. For after Pentecost, many became converted. No doubt also some of those who walked away from him after the feeding of the 5,000. And even some of those who denied him on the day of his crucifixion. Think of Paul. Paul rejected Christ for many years. And then he did believe. And there will have been many others like him by allowing himself to be made king on that day he gave the people something to remember something to reflect on when the apostles preached the gospel of salvation they will have remembered how god's word was fulfilled on that day their king came into jerusalem riding on a donkey that is exactly what god said would happen god himself had said that in his prophecy of Zechariah. And the Lord Jesus Christ indeed made it happen. He directed all of history to that point. It was necessary that he be proclaimed as king, but not in the way that the people envisaged him as king, but in the way that God in heaven envisaged it. For on that day, the last Sunday before his crucifixion, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Judah, sat there on that donkey. The Apostle John recorded these words many years after the event had taken place. It is only then that he quotes from Zechariah. That is when it all fell into place. For the Lord Jesus Christ sent his Holy Spirit into John's heart and into the hearts of all those who were willing to listen and to reflect on the words of the Lord Jesus for oh, sure, during this time on earth, many people walked away from the Lord Jesus. They did not understand his mission. Many walked away from him that time after he fed the 5,000 because they did not understand. Others, however, walked away from him not only because of a lack of understanding, but because of a deliberate lack of insight into their own guilt. For in order to understand and embrace the mission of the Lord Jesus, you have to understand the ways of God, brothers and sisters. He rules. He establishes a spiritual kingdom. And the only way that you can be a citizen of that kingdom is if you repent. If you repent from your own sins, you have to allow him to be proclaimed king also in your own personal life. You have to allow him to rule every aspect of your existence. And that's not easy. For it means that you have to let go of your own control in your own life. That means that you have to let go of your own plans so that you can make your plans the Lord's plans. You have to understand what his kingdom means and what it accomplishes. The people wanted to make him an earthly king. They had great ambitions for themselves. They wanted freedom. They wanted to be able to order their own affairs. They did not want any decrees of Rome to determine what they could or could not do. They wanted to use the Lord Jesus for their own ends. Doesn't that sound familiar? Is that not the kind of world we live in? This world also wants to use the Lord Jesus for their own ends. They say he was a man of peace, of love, of tolerance. And so let us live our own lifestyles. Let us do what we want for ourselves. Allow us to break the covenant of marriage with impunity. Allow us to make homosexuality an accepted lifestyle. Allow us to abort our children. That's why Jesus came. He came not to judge. He came for all men. That is the kind of king they proclaim the Lord Jesus to be today. But is that the way it is? No, he came to do his Father's will. That is why he disappointed the masses. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom. He rejected all things that was worldly. He rejected all those who thought that salvation is in man. He rejected all those who thought that their joy and happiness would be found here on earth alone. He rejected all those who did not want to acknowledge nor fight against their sins. And so they reject him, they reject him as king. Oh sure, he was anointed, but for what? For death. He was crowned, but what kind of crown? A crown of thorns. He was given a royal robe. It was a purple robe of mockery. And that's also how it is today. Look at how the world ridicules Christians. More and more in this Western society of today, you see that people have utter contempt for that king, for the Lord Jesus Christ, as he has revealed himself in his word. This world does not want to be ruled by him. This world does not want to repent from its sins. It wants to be free. It wants to be a law unto itself. Beloved congregation, the Lord Jesus is going to come again. He's going to come a second time from heaven. But why is he coming again? Well, he is going to come again to make another triumphal entry. But this time, no one will be able to escape his rule. His rule will extend only to all those who now proclaim him to be the king of kings. He is coming to claim all those who do not have an earthly expectation, but who have an heavenly expectation of the king of kings are you waiting for such a king amen